beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? We are building up a new world. This version of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the freedom movement is a live recording of a group called No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians here in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, back with you today. I'm a UCC pastor in the place currently called Denver, Colorado, here on Cheyenne and Arapaho land. And I'm the faith coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, nationally. This podcast is a project of SURGE Faith and is particularly designed for white people white people talking to other white people about race and white supremacy. We believe white people like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We'd love to hear from you and especially from folks of color about how we're doing. The word is resistance. Wie lieblich sind deine Wohnungen erzählt. That's the first line of one of this week's readings, Psalm 84, in German. I learned this from singing Brahms' German Requiem in college, under the direction of the same choral conductor, in fact, my mom had in college, Dr. Fauch. So I always think of that, of singing this piece and learning sung German from him my freshman year of college. How lovely, how beautiful is your dwelling place, O Divine One. I also think of my grandmother, Marian, because this was her favorite psalm, and the setting in Brahms Requiem was one of her favorite choral pieces. So I also think of her and this psalm of longing for God's dwelling place, and I wonder what spoke to her most deeply. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Divine One. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. My soul, my whole being longs, yearns, even faints to be in God's dwelling place. My favorite line after these opening verses comes in verse 10. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. Wickedness here really means injustice or a lack of just ethics, which does violence and seeks financial gain. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of injustice. I admit I'm feeling all of this right now here in late summer after weeks of direct actions and loss on top of the memory of loss. I'm speaking of my own self, but I'm guessing this is lots of you too. Tired. The tense of injustice being staked out everywhere, it feels like. 
And damn if I don't want to just lean on God's doorpost and rest in something beautiful for a while. And this word, courts, in Hebrew, yeah, it mostly means those kind of royal palace-type spaces. But I discovered it also means a farm, the place where livestock hang out. So now I'm imagining myself sitting on the step in the doorway of one of the barns at the farm where I work, looking out over the pasture while the goats graze, a snuggly goat baby napping in my lap, the moon just starting to rise over the ridge in the east, deer bounding through the meadow behind the fence. Wie lieblich sind deine Wohnungen. How beautiful is your dwelling place, O Holy One. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the Divine One's farm. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. up against the doorpost of God's house as we dive into our text for this week. I'm going to be having us thinking about the Ephesians reading about putting on the whole armor of God and also John's gospel, this final entry in a four-week excursion we've been on through the sixth chapter and lots of complicated and conflictual talk about Jesus being the bread of life. If you've been listening long at all to the word is resistance, you know by now that John gives me fits, always. Give me Matthew, Mark, Luke, and their straightforward narratives any day. I have a hard time wrestling a blessing out of the fighting that is clearly going on in John's gospel, and how hard the gospel is on quote-unquote the Jews, and how exclusive Jesus can be, or at least we interpret him to be, with all his I am the this and the that talk. And all of that is going on in chapter 6, which we have to be aware of as we engage the selection for this week. Ephesians, well, I mean, I like the whole armor of God idea, you'll see, but it comes immediately following instructions that reinforce the subjugation of women and the gender binary, as well as telling slaves to obey their masters. Right. I name all this to remind myself and all of us that These readings each week aren't disconnected from the rest of their context, and that sometimes that context does not render up easy, pat answers to hard questions. And sometimes the answers the texts offer are still bound up in the limited imagination of their own time. As the disciples say to Jesus in this week's Gospel, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? My thoughts about these two texts are influenced a lot right now by an experience I had a few weeks ago when here in Denver, immigrant activists held an encampment in front of the ICE field office for nearly a week. The field office is where immigrant folks come to check in while they are in process for their immigration case. This is a way of controlling their movement and a form of psychological harm not only to the person checking in, but also the whole family and community who wonder if their loved one who has entered the building will ever come out again. 
because we have known of immigrant folk being detained right in that lobby, even when they're still in the middle of working out their case in immigration court. In fact, it happened to a really good friend of mine, and the ICE official said he did it just because he could. We've done lots of actions over the years to accompany folks to their check-ins, both as a support to the person checking in and also so ICE knows we're watching. So that building and what they do there, terrorizing the immigrant community through violence-laden bureaucracy, that was the focus of this action. Immigrants and allies camping out 24 hours a day on the thin strip of grass that is public property in front of the federally-run field office. Our search chapter was asked to provide security during the encampment, so I was there around 12 hours a day, along with about 25 other of our folks taking different shifts and doing the behind-the-scenes work to make all that presence possible. I can tell you lots of stories, but for today I want to focus on what turned out to be the final day, that Thursday. In an act of civil disobedience, eight folks blocked the two driveways into the property by locking themselves to each other in lockboxes. This had the desired effect of shutting down business at the field office for the rest of that day, following on the disruption our presence had been causing all week. They stayed blocking those driveways for hours in the hot sun. Hours we were all there, supporting, chanting, keeping sharp eyes out as the federal police tried to figure out how to handle it. Again, there are many stories I could tell just about that afternoon. My favorite may be the medic who fed grapes to the lockdown folks by hand and brought us ice cream sandwiches in the middle of holding down the line in the face of the cops. But there are a couple things I've been thinking about in connection to our two texts today. The first is about the whole armor of God. Here in Ephesians 6, Jesus' followers are instructed to put on the whole armor of God. As it says, For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present paleness, the spiritual forces of evil. But this armor, we notice, is not literal swords and shields. No, the armor is truth and justice and peace and faith. The writer names these pieces of armor, the sword of the spirit, for example, but they are not weapons that harm but rather practices that heal. We're asked to enter into the struggle protected by our practice and our trust in the Divine One. Early on during the lockdown, an ICE employee tried to drive his truck right through the crowd and over the folks locked down, who at that point were sitting on the ground. He clearly was trying to use his truck as a weapon as he accelerated towards our group. And I watched in awe as our folks formed up in front of him as a blockade and then literally pushed his truck backwards until he finally backed off. It was really something to behold. Talk about the belt of truth and the breastplate of justice, not to mention the shield of faith, of trust, of belief in a community's ability to take care of and protect one another in ways that don't actually increase harm to others or rely on violence. It's hard not to think our struggle is against blood and flesh when a truck is trying to run over your friends. Or, as happened a few hours later, 
Your action is met with line after line of riot cops dripping in weaponry intended to threaten physical harm, which is an act of violence in and of itself. Let's be clear. They arrived when the team of cops arrived to cut out our folks to cut our folks out of the lockboxes. They far outnumbered us. The line upon line of riot cops and SWAT and the helicopters and the sniper on the roof across the street. We noticed the chemical weapons, the tasers and pistols, the reams of zip ties, the batons, the rifles of both live ammo and rubber bullets. Even as we held our line and sent love to our folks being cut out and taken away behind those lines, even as my co-lead and I discussed plans to get us all to safety if we were attacked, we also just stood and guffawed at this brutal show of force, the whole armor of white supremacy out to threaten us. This small group of folks armed only with water bottles and chants and very tired and sweaty bodies and prayers. What were they so afraid of anyway? It's hard not to think our struggle is against blood and flesh. When you're wondering if your own blood and flesh and the blood and flesh of your friends is about to be pepper sprayed or shot or beaten. But we stayed firm, loving on our lockdown folks, raising up our voices, encouraging everyone who held our one unarmed line in the face of multiple lines of their weapons. And I prayed hard, believe me, and I leaned on knowing that loved ones I had alerted were also praying hard. And we stayed. We stayed when it got hard. We stayed and kept our focus on keeping our people together and encouraged and safe. We knew we wouldn't leave each other, no matter what happened. The helmet of salvation, that focus. Thankfully, no further violence was done towards us beyond the aggression of their threatening response. But I've been thinking about that ever since, and the image of our line of vested but otherwise unarmed security face-to-face with riot cops. And there have been moments like that all over this summer, right? In Charlottesville, when clergy and community faced down cops to protect Heather Heyer's memorial and the community space of mourning there, in D.C. and Berkeley and Portland, where fascists showed up with police support, in other encampments to abolish ICE where police harassed protesters. I'm not trying to make an argument here necessarily about being peaceful and nonviolent in ways that are actually excuses for not showing up, a kind of pacifism that actually protects our own comfort. What I'm thinking about here is a kind of community defense and protection that is deep and risky and loving, that stays firm and focused when shit gets hard, that's honest about the work we still have to do to dismantle systems of oppression. I'm looking at you, Ephesians writer. And requires a completely different set of tools than what the Empire thinks are necessary to keep us safe. You have a truck? We have our bare hands to push you back. You have 2011 kinds of swords? We have one big heart beating strong enough to not leave our people, even though you showed up threatening us. That's the whole armor of God. And yeah, that's a pretty intense example during a direct action out in the street. But really, it's no less true in other settings where we have to fight against the spiritual forces of white supremacy, 
how they show up in our board meetings and liturgies and classrooms and city council sessions. Our willingness to show up then is no less important and no less vital. Our willingness to show up and be that armor of God for a completely different vision of community, a community that centers black and brown life, a community that centers indigenous sovereignty, a community that centers poor and working class folks, a community that centers cooperation, not capitalism, that centers relationship, not exploitation, a community that centers justice and liberation and fierce love. is not against blood and flesh, but against the spiritual forces of white supremacy. Interesting, back in John 6 now, there's some talk of blood and flesh too. Jesus says, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me. John's gospel doesn't give us a scene of the Last Supper, but we get this instead. Jesus talking to his community about eating his flesh, even gnawing at it in the Greek, and drinking his blood. In that way, they abide in Jesus. That is, they are able to dwell with him, to stay with him, and in so doing, that is life. Life generating more life. It's hard to read this whole chapter and not pick up the conflict and exclusivity in it, and I don't want to explain that away. Interpretations that assume the conflict and exclusivity mean Jesus is the only way and Christianity has superseded Judaism have done immense harm, and I don't want to ignore that. So as we come to the end of the arc of this chapter, I wonder if a way of reading it, the feeding of the 5,000 and all the talk of the bread of life and comparing it to manna and Jesus offering his body to be gnawed on, I wonder if Jesus is trying to say, when times have gotten hard for our people, God has always provided for us. That's how God keeps nourishing the people when times are hard. That's how we're still here. Manna in the desert, and now me. Manna doesn't keep, but I will stay. At the end of that day, that Thursday, As the sun was setting and the lines of riot police began to head back to their vehicles and drive off, and we began to hope that maybe, just maybe, we had made it to the end. I stood behind our folks on that line in my position to keep eyes everywhere, and I felt just how tired, how depleted I was in my blood and flesh. And after running through the list of herbs I knew I needed to start drinking the next day, I had this exact thought, kind of out of nowhere. I'm so depleted. Thank God next Sunday is Communion Sunday so I can have communion. I need to be nourished by Jesus. Now, I'm not even sure I can rationally explain what I even understand myself to mean there. But there's something about abiding, about having access to an ancestor who also did not turn away when shit got real, 
something about life, generating life and resilience for the long haul, because let's face it, this is hard work. It can break your heart. Some of Jesus' people walked away from him after he said this. He knew and offered his own self. When the struggle gets hard, when the armor of God gets heavy, nourish yourself on me. Keep generating more life. action ideas for you today connected to the two threads of ideas coming out of today's readings. First, how is your community prepared to be the armor of God? What I mean is, what kinds of practices do you all need to put in place for community protection and defense? This could be through your church or workplace or neighborhood or search chapter or all of the above. Do you need de-escalation training? Do you need to build alternative practices to calling the cops? Do you need to build a team of trusted folks who you know will respond together and not back down when the truck tries to drive through your people? And please know I mean that literally, but also the way in which the metaphorical truck of white supremacy tries to take out decisions about staffing and programs and what gets funded, for example, or whose voices will be centered in a class curriculum. How can folks have each other's backs so it's not you all by yourself? Second, what practices for nourishing each other are you putting into place? For example, who are the healers in your circles who might be ready to donate or offer sliding scale services? Are you building in time to rest and play in your organizing? And what if our communion liturgy reflected that collective nourishment to keep on in the long struggle towards freedom? If you're a pastor, try writing one for your next Communion Sunday. Thanks as always for joining me wherever you are on this earth. Let us know how your action goes. We'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. We'll be back next week with a resistance word from Will Green. Lucky Will, we hop back to the Gospel of Mark next week. You can find out more about Surge... Um, at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. And transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, credits, and copyright information. Finally, a huge thanks to our sound editor this week, Matt Reno. As always, blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thank you so much.
Yeah.